Welcome to the Future of Application Security, a podcast for ambitious leaders who want to build a modern and effective AppSec program. Doing application security right is really hard. Now I'm going to help you build a better future of AppSec at your company by curating the lessons from the leaders. I'm your host, Harshal Parikh, CEO of Tromso. And without further ado, let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Future of Application Security. The guest I have today with me is Warren Kopp. Warren is a leading AppSec at Coalfire. Warren, welcome to the show. Hi there. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Warren, would you mind introducing yourself just a little bit more? What do you do? Where do you work for our audience? Sure. My name is Warren Kopp. I'm a consultant at Coalfire in the Application Security Division. We're a big and growing practice here at Coalfire. Many people have heard of Coalfire because of compliance efforts or ThreadFix or some of the other applications we've had in the past. We're really growing our application security practice for the next few years. We have a lot of great consultants and we have a lot of great clients and we're trying to grow both. Fantastic. And uh, Warren, you've been at Coalfire for some time now. Tell me a little bit about how did you get into AppSec consulting and uh, Maybe a brief intro into or overview into where did you work before? Sure. So I have an animation degree and I backed into technology to become a sysadmin and get admin access at one point. Through that, I found out that information security is a thing. And it sounded like a fascinating career goal because it's never static at all. It's always very, very changing. So fumbling around, I ended up inside of an enterprise software company building an application security program. I learned really up close and personal how difficult it is to start an initiative like that, how to scale it to a few hundred developers and a few different products at the same time out of nothing. When we were done with that program there, I had had some great, great experiences with the consultants that we had hired. And I learned that it looks like a good gig being the expert to come in and just talk to folks about where their opportunities are. Here's the stuff you're doing great. Here's where you can grow in the future. I really wanted to be that my next goal in my career path to be that kind of person and to have that kind of learning experience at every couple of weeks or months, whatever the interval is with those client engagements. So that's how I ended up in consulting for application security. And I've been loving it ever since. I've been consulting for about four and a half years now. I've seen clients big and small engagements, truly difficult and quite simple. And it's a great place to be. And I'm looking forward to it for quite a long time in the future. That's so awesome, man. I was hoping you said you have a degree in animation. I'm guessing in consulting, you're making a lot of PowerPoints or slide decks in general. Do you correlate those skills in, in slide decks for AppSec? A little bit. It's a lot of trying to pay attention to what's going to hold people's attention, right? Like you watch a lot of those presentations about don't fill your slide full of words, make it something people are going to think about or remember. And I try and do that. I try and keep it moving. Digital art, it's all about capturing attention from people. AppSec is all about capturing attention from people, from the right people. Absolutely. It's, there's a lot of commonalities. Cool, man. Are you using any of your um, art skills in day-to-day? -day? How does that work? Not really. That's my blow-off steam part of life anymore. Digital art got me in front of computers for the first time all day, every day, and I didn't want to let go of that. So these days, is I've transitioned into more analog activities of wood carving and home improvement projects where I'm making lots of sawdust and figuring out how to assemble things from nothing. That's awesome. 
That's pretty cool. So you mentioned a little bit about why consulting was interesting to you. Now that you know you moved from a corporate AppSec team world into consulting, what are some of the key differences that you see between you know building and scaling AppSec program as a member of the AppSec team in a large company as compared to being on the consulting side? My engagements personally that I'm attached to and building time to, as well as those across my team, I'm learning so much more about struggles and successes and opportunities for both from every different kind of environment. The way Coalfire is structured, we have open team Slack channels where folks are asking questions, sharing wins, all those kind of things every day. And then you can just go one off and have an hour where you pick their brain. What worked really good with that client? Because I've seen those kinds of problems. And I have a network inside Coalfire as well as my personal network outside of it that just now I have access to information in a way that I never had it when we were intern. There were six of us. We lived in that bubble of that application lifecycle and that those applications that we managed, and that was really it. And at Coalfire and consulting in general, you just see so much different opportunities. Yeah. So maybe if you can summarize like some unique things that you've seen while working with all these different companies, different customers as compared to what you might have seen in your previous company, or if you continued a similar role as not consulting? I think the biggest opportunity I see across all kinds of different organizations is that we as an industry and security folks need to appreciate that security is not just a technological problem. It's difficult to roll out new technologies. It's difficult to add things to a life cycle in terms of what are people executing day to day, but it gets a lot easier if you find the people on the other side of the process, not just the UI designers or the front end guys. What are their struggles and why don't they want to add more layers to their process? Where can you fit into things in a way that makes sense? When I was internal, it took us a long time to figure out that compromise is the way to build more security. That's not necessarily the way a lot of practitioners want to phrase it, but I have gotten so much more success. Like, yeah, it's maybe 10, 20% of my goal sometimes, but that's a lot more than 0%. If those folks stuck their feet in and they said no to security. So as a consultant, it's the same way. It's just different folks with different opportunities to build that compromise and build that relationship and understanding. Sometimes it's because the team is spread out across the world. So you have to figure out how to communicate that way. When I was internal, it was long pre-pandemic, so we were mostly focused in a single office where I could walk to a cubicle and say, hey man, we'd really appreciate you at this threat modeling meeting. Do you think you can make it? And then now they have to disagree with me in person if they don't want to show up. So learning that distributed communication is always a trial, but that just depends on the organization style. So there's a lot of opportunities on that kind of thing. Meeting people where they are will give you a lot further than dictating anything is my experience. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think most people, when you state it that way, most practitioners would agree that, yes, you know, collaborating with developers is important. You have to get them buy-in, dev buy-in, you know, all of that stuff. You've been talking about it for a long time. The reason it's really, really hard to do is that it takes most technical security people out of their comfort zone, right? Then most people are focused on technology. And also there's a, there's a lot of stuff to do within AppSec. You could be sitting in front of your computer screen, not talk to anybody and still be overwhelmed with the volume of work that you would have. So it becomes an intentional choice for a lot of people to focus on 
you know, stepping away from the technical day-to-day and focusing more on the people aspects of things, right? How did you solve that problem personally, getting away from, you know, just the technical aspect and focusing on this people? I mean, for me, it's kind of like that higher calling kind of thing. And it sounds really cheesy, but that's once you figure out the thing you want to do with your life, you don't work anymore. You just show up and do the entertaining thing. When we figured out our real goals and our real impediments when we were in that software company, our goal was to add security to that software because it had not been focused on by anybody before. It had accreted because of customer requirements, never a guiding principle. So once we started to make that change, it was just a matter of finding where we could get the biggest ROI. And that was building that level of communication. Since I've left there and been in consulting and looked at other organizations and seen their struggles, I've seen this as a much bigger pattern. And you're right. It is a lot easier to stay inside your comfort zone and focus on the thing you know how to do, which is build a tool, break a tool, put it together, things like that. I still love to do that part of the job. It's great to sit down with a spreadsheet full of things that you need to check off and over the days, hours, weeks, whatever it is, start checking those off by yourself, focused in your terminal or your app or whatever it takes. But building that security in at that organizational level outside the technology really, really motivated me. And it exceeded that opportunity to turn that ROI exists for folks. And I want to encourage them to go out there and do it. And it's going to look different in every opportunity. That's the other part that you come in with consulting. Like It's not just necessarily the devs who don't want to add security. It's the VPs who don't want to allocate budget for that. So now you got to go win friends on the devs who want to push the VPs for the budget, those kinds of things. Like the story is always different at the detail level. At the gross level, it's always the same. And we want to build more security in earlier. Right, right. Yeah. And uh, are there particular skills do you think that make a certain security person better or worse at it? Like, are there skills that you can gain or learn to get better at those things? Getting comfortable just talking to people more often. This was something that I struggled with and I still do. If I go to a conference full of folks that I'm not speaking at or I don't have a common thing and none of my friends are there to start introducing me to other circles, sometimes I still struggle with that myself. I would still much rather be at home playing video games, doing wood carving, whatever it is that I'm by myself. It's a lot of different kind of strains standing around and talking to folks about things. But especially for me, learning to present at things like B-Sides and the software company I did had a huge internal training division and they kind of just let folks do what they wanted. So we would always bring in security things there to have more conversations, get better practice talking to people about our goals because we were garbage at it at first. No one understood why we wanted to change the product. All it sounded like was more complexity for the customer. So we had to learn how to communicate better and it's different communicating. We want this scanner to run more effectively than it is We want to add two-factor because we think it'll drive more business to the company because more of the bigger customers are asking for it. Like Mm -hmm. there's a huge communication gap between those two things. And they're both talking about technical problems, but they're talking about them in very, very different ways. And in my experience, it's not necessarily a book learning kind of thing. It's an experience thing. You're going to be bad at it. There are conference talks of me on YouTube struggling because it took a while to get good at it. I promise. Right, right. Yeah, you know, what fascinates me is that, well, by the way, I 100% agree that being able to collaborate and partner with the other 
peers in your organization outside of security, being able to sell security to them, being able to convince them to do other things for security. Those are all crucial skills for a successful AppSec team. But it's fascinating that none of the AppSec or most of the AppSec trainings or you know courses and stuff like that we have in the industry, none of that focuses on that aspect of soft skills, right? It's all about technical things, which are important, obviously, but it sounds like there's a huge gap in our industry of what's actually crucial for a successful AppSec team, but there's no training available for it. So how do you train this uh, the generation of engineers and security people that we have to be successful at it? I really don't know. I've struggled with that my whole career. After my first couple of years where I tried by hand at OSCP, I got a CISP, I did those things. There's a really big dead zone of training. It's a lot better now because there are a lot more providers than there were six, eight, 10 years ago. But I pushed on my management. I said, I don't think I need security training anymore. I think I need psychology training, like understanding where I can go with my thoughts and goals to collaborate differently with folks than I have before. Like that's not a security specific skill. That's a, how do I interact more with humans? Because humans are messy and confusing. I am messy and confusing. And trying to understand common language between people and get there quickly without spending months and months interacting, that's a really big challenge. And I don't know anybody who's offering any sort of soft skills training that addresses that kind of thing, but I'd be happy to try and find it and spend my time with it if I can find it because I've been looking for it for years. And I think it's a matter of I don't know. Tech folks like to look down on sales because they don't spend as much time as we do doing the real work. But at the same time, they have a very different skill set. And there's a lot of opportunity there. We can learn from it. And driving that collaboration across different, I don't know, spheres is the better way to phrase it, I guess. Yeah, like marketing versus development. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And uh, earlier when we were discussing this, you know, this brings me to the other topic that you had mentioned, which is, uh, you know, AppSec is all about people, right? AppSec as people is what you had mentioned. Tell me a little bit more about how you're thinking of, what does that mean, AppSec as people? What does that mean? I think of it, and happily, once I joined Coalfire, I found out I wasn't the only person who thought of it that way, but we can build you a kick-ass application security program with very little tooling and very little technical changes as long as you have people who are willing to work together. That means you can build specific training just with a PowerPoint and an understanding of the struggles of the software developers, the struggles of the QA folks. If you go out there, you don't necessarily need a high volume of all these tools and tooling and environments and those kinds of things. You need to understand the fundamentals. If you can articulate the where OWASP guidance interacts with your application, you can start building specific training to educate folks and collaborate with them to find their struggles and where are they good? What is their thing that they are the most proud of in terms of security? And then you can champion that in front of other people and you can help them one-up it or build that next tier or get something else to that goal that they are just as proud of. And when I started learning how to do application security, it was a lot of Here's the next exploit. Here's the next tool, all those kinds of things. And we learned it's making people feel proud of their work in terms of security rather than something they have to tack on or they have to hit a compliance goal. But if you teach folks something to be proud of exists in this, they'll teach you how they can get better. They'll ask more questions to get them to the next level. 
Yeah, I 100% agree. I observed that stark difference between what security teams get excited about versus what engineering or product teams really uh, care about, right? So in one of my previous companies, we had an AppSec team, one of our engineers, a new exploit came in, they built the whole wrapper around it and prepared a demo of how we are vulnerable to that exploit. And that actually was pretty amazing because the end-to-end exploit worked really well, that you could get shell in a production environment and stuff like that, right? It was really, really amazing, at least to me. And we showed it to the product team and the engineering team, and they're like, okay, so what? I mean, I, you know, it's like, what difference does this make now that you can do it? So clearly they lacked a lot of the understanding of uh, security implications of it and all that stuff, but at the same time, we as security people get excited about those things when we're able to, you know, demonstrate something like a complex attack vector and exploit systems. But that's not the only thing that would motivate an engineer to spend time and fix those issues or prevent those things. So there's yeah. certainly a gap that needs to, that you know you need to go beyond the technical aspects of things, and especially if you want to focus on remediation of the risks. Sure, there's a huge opportunity and. A thing that I've seen a lot with that in the past is just simple misunderstandings at those two levels. So like you're saying with that exploit chain, the developers didn't really get it. Well, I've seen it go the other way as well, where the developers know the darkest secrets of the software and they know there are huge security risks, but they also know they're not going to get buy-in because it's not client facing. So when you show up as an application security engineer and you say, here's where we think the goals are, like we want to improve security and we're concerned about this area because that's where you have seen it. Now you have a sympathetic ear to some of those folks to pipe up and go, ah, sort of, but have you heard the way we do administration through SQL injection? And they're like, excuse me? Well, well, if you know about this one interface, you can just go in as SA on the database and edit whatever you would like for the entire instance. And yes, everybody in the room dies, but and starts to listen to that developer. And he's been saying it for years. Like, yes. this isn't new information. He's just never had anybody who wanted to listen. So... Yeah, there's it sounds so like opportunity for that out there. Yeah, it sounds like this sort of an admin interface exists pretty much in every single software company. The developers know where, where it exists, but security teams don't know that. Yeah, it's <laughs> a certain age. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then there's the adversarial part of it, where a lot of security teams, even ones I've been a part of in the past, you come in and at a certain point, someone sees you as the guy who gets in their way. And that's a really hard thing to break with certain folks. And you want to stop with that as soon as you can. And it's like, whatever it takes, right? If it takes buying them lunch once, great. If it takes going up to them and saying, look, I don't want you to change anything. Just talk to me more about what happens with security in your area of expertise. Where do you think we're great? Where do you think we're poor? Where do you think that I'm wasting your time? If you have to come at me the whole time just to get us to talk, great. Now we're talking because I have so much to learn from you. And that's where I have had so much success in my career is just asking folks to explain to me stuff. And then, you know, as in an interview and a podcast, you poke, you prod, you go a little bit in a different direction and eventually you get to the same spot. And it might not be as quick as turning on a tool, but you'll get there and you will get much, much better security on the other side of it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that idea. I think one of the challenges with that approach is how do you actually scale, right? Because when you have a security team, typically most organizations have one security engineer, 200, 200, 300 developers, right? It's tough to build that personal relationship when you as a security engineer, you have to be sort of indirectly you know, aligned with 
200 developers. It's not really easy. Have you seen a successful model? Do you have any suggestions on how to scale? Absolutely. And I have all of the sympathy in the world. As soon as our original team started doing security work, the list only ever grew. It never got shorter. As soon as somebody heard security, they found a thing to put on that list from compliance to customer requests. And they didn't give us more budget for a team. We just had a longer list of things to achieve. So my advice to every folks, every sort of folk I've dealt with with that is you really just got to find your own opportunities. And that sounds hokey and it sounds problematic because you're like, great, what are my opportunities? Everybody wants everything done yesterday. And it's like, yeah, you can't have a thousand priorities, but if you have a few sympathetic folks on one part of the client team, let's start with them. Build that relationship. If you know somebody in IT operations who cares about security and you want to go talk about password policies, take them out to lunch, send them a gift card or get in time on the phone, whatever it takes to have that personal interaction with them to say, look, I understand where your problems are here, where my problems are. I think together we can do something on the other side. The downside of that is not management is not always that patient, right? They see a security engineer, they see a security list. They want that list to be knocked down by so many items a day. And that's where I struggle to have great advice. Having leadership that will at least listen to your successes and your proposed timeline, they should be pushing you definitely, but not unreasonably. Like if you can't scale, you can't scale, but you should be asking for help, looking for more opportunities, grow that network however you can. Huge opportunities that I've encouraged folks to do to grow networks is have open lunch and learns where you send out large scale emails, inviting folks to have questions about security things, either in the product or in the news even. And you can get folks who will come in and ask questions that you're not prepared for. You will have no answer for, but now you want to talk to them. And that's how you can grow a network if you just start fresh and don't have one. Right, right. So all of these things, you really have to spend the time and effort to do those things, right? So then you either pick and choose the teams or the business units or the functions that you would want to invest your resources in. So you can do that. But at the same time, there's a lot of the road, you know, ditch digging work that AppSec people do that can be automated. Do you have any thoughts around what you've seen modern teams automate, which is open for automation and how you should automate. What are the things that should be automated? So the security team gets freed up and focused time on this relationship building, collaboration, partnership with dev teams. My favorite example of that, and I wish I had the permission to share the individual and the company, but unfortunately I don't. We were doing an OWASP SAM evaluation. So looking at the structured maturity of their entire software lifecycle. And we got to the point about exception management, which is we have these policies of keeping these dependencies up to date by a certain level. If there are exceptions to that, it should only exist for a certain time period without such and such approval, that kind of thing. Because exceptions exist to every policy. It's whether or not you're keeping track of them and that kind of thing that evaluates the maturity. This gentleman on this team took it on himself to build an automated exception management thing into their CICD pipeline. So instead of going to a SharePoint form, going to a Google form, doing something like that, it was you check in a line to this text file that says these dependencies on this version can exist for this long because they have this approval from these people at a certain level. And then that would do a a countdown and then it would break the build because of that exception policy. Because once that timeline ran out, if it wasn't renewed, 
it would kick it out and break the build. And I was just gobsmacked when he showed it to me. I'm like, what? How? He goes, look, we do everything automated here. Okay. This was the quickest way I could think to do this. And we're going to have issues. It's not perfect. But now I have a working prototype and we had presented on Monday and this was like a Wednesday or a Thursday. He showed it to us. And I'm like, you're just teaching me that things that I assume can't necessarily be automated because they're too sticky with too many people involved. I'm just not thinking aggressively enough about it. So those opportunities exist at every layer. It's just, that's my favorite story because that gentleman was so pumped and it was so cool to see it working. That's phenomenal. Yeah. It's a good way for security to start, you know, automating compliance processes, approval processes, governance workflows, things like that, right? Everything should exist in Git. And if we can automate compliance processes, audit workflows, that's even more beautiful. That's how you get attention. <laughs> yeah. I mean... I, we told everybody, because we were in like the individual working sessions, we told everyone in his management structure, it was like, look, this guy is aggressively working to take big concepts and make them personal to your environment. That's a huge, huge thing. I wouldn't have come up with that. I did not grow into security from a developer standpoint. I came from sysadmin, deployment engineering, QA. So my techniques are going to be different than his, then would be different than yours. And learning and giving space for those differences of opinion and concept to come through, it's going to build a great team. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's sort of also the direction where Tromso is going as well, right? So we've got a ton of different policies that do compliance as code, policy as code. So all of these implementations of SLAs and extensions and workflows, all of that is natively built into not just the CICD pipeline, but also uh, GitHub pull request process, right? So uh, shifting left, why can't we shift compliance left, right? So it's a great example that we are also implemented within the platform natively. Anyway, so going back to your experience, you know, going from a AppSec team at a large software company, now working in consulting, do you have thoughts around where the current state of AppSec is today? Is there a lot of change happening? What do you what do you see now that you're getting exposed to a lot more environments and consulting? I mean, I still see it at every level. I see the folks who are just trying to figure out what security means with a team of six, eight developers to folks running with it at scale and who are trying to introduce threat modeling and consistent threat modeling all throughout their entire architecture that spans the globe. So I think, if anything, it's just easier to find more information on every level. So everybody knows OWASP, but there's stories like mine. There are stories like these and conference talks and trainings. There are so many more opportunities for AppSec training now than there were even four or five years ago. I mean, it used to just be things like the OSCP and the CISSP, like those big name industry certs. But now there are folks doing YouTube channels full of very dedicated, specific developer training. And there are very specific and general trainings of everything across the AppSec environment. And it's so much easier to find so many more different opinions. When I started doing this in 2012 or so, it was going to conferences, finding people with adjacent sounding talks, and then cornering them in the hallway when you saw them later and saying, look, your talk was great. I really believed all those things, but how did you solve for this problem? Um, and that's the thing I've been trying to get back as I grow in my career, because I learned these things and I want to encourage folks, if you're in that environment where you're that single security engineer with the ever-growing list, yes, it is very, very hard. We understand. Some of us have been there. We think you can do it, that kind of thing, because 
especially if you're starting out in that environment that's a lot less mature than some of these bigger names or like you hear about Netflix or Google where they're rolling stuff at a level of security you can't begin to imagine. Yeah, you can get there eventually. It's going to take some time and you're going to struggle. Things are going to go sideways a little bit, but it's so much easier to find that information to know you can grow rather than have to struggle with it so slowly like you used to. Right, right. So with access to so much more information, sharing knowledge, and I've seen a lot of uh, you know Slack communities as well, Slack channels, and people are collaborating very, very extensively. So which is all good news for AppSec professionals or security professionals in general in this time. Where do you think the future is going to go? Like, do you have any, um, you know, any trends that you're already seeing across, you know, more modern customers, more modern environments that you've seen? Any uh, predictions? Just loosening the old versions of everything has to be inside a VPN, inside a firewall, inside of that kind of thing. The whole, um, what does Google call it? Beyond Corp kind of an idea. I think that is growing aggressively after all the COVID lockdowns and things like that and the remote work. Folks just don't want to be hemmed inside that very specific perimeter any longer. They're used to having that flexibility and what that means to an application security lifecycle has to change along with it. Folks can't just push a version out there and expect it to exist in perpetuity any longer. They have to keep it refreshed. Something is going to happen with those dependencies. Either they're going to get compromised or somebody's going to find a new exploit. Like there are so many opportunities for things to go sideways getting more aggressive, getting more iterative and growing quicker are the best ways to keep up as far as I've seen folks out there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Warren, this was an awesome podcast. Uh, I love all of the insights that you've shared here with the audience today. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. This has been a great conversation. Thanks for listening to the Future of Application Security. If you've enjoyed this episode or you are new to the show, I'd love to have you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any episode. And if you like the podcast, I'd be grateful if you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening.